Welcome back to another hey, episode Eric, of welcome the Constructive to the podcast. podcast. Thanks a lot for Today having me, Ken. It's a pleasure to be here. On the topic I was of super excited when I saw your application we'll come in. With it's you definitely taking a topic control that, of your life gives you, you know, a lot of people approach freedom. from a lot of it different directions, and you hear a lot of podcasts actually talking Eric about this subject broadly. Is, well, that's one of liberty. Your specific topic being overreaching government. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this conversation. Before we jump into it. Give us a little bit of your background and how you went from and have young Eric to maybe books. in high school, Here's what we're chasing, get into chasing into the girls, today. whatever, just, just wherever you were going after in high school. Why people follow each other. What like was your sheep. path like How to stand up to, to becoming unconstitutional laws? How you can stand well, up Well, I got out of high school and started in college and Where realized that stuff's expensive. And it's nothing like the kids today are going through. I mean, I went through before 2000, and it was a whole lot cheaper. They'd laugh at me if I told you how cheap it was. But I yeah, there's got to be a better way. So I joined the Army as much to get them to pay for my school as it was. I was sure I was going to be a doctor. So that was the path I was on. I'm just, I'm going to go, go to med school and I know I'll graduate. I know I'll be a great doctor, but I don't know if I can get accepted to medical school. My, uh, my grades weren't perfect. And so when I finally got to my med school interview eight years later, I walked in and they said, yeah, uh, how'd you get such good grades on your MCATs? And I said, well, what do you mean? I did pretty well in school. They said, you're the only person we're interviewing without a 4.0. And I said, oh, well. But yeah, so I, I joined the Army, became a medic, jumped out of airplanes, blew stuff up, fixed broken people, did that for four years, went back, finished college in three more years. And uh, then right before med school started, I went in search of my life mm. and ended up in real estate. And, you know, I had fixed up a house that my wife and I live in, turned an old broken down warehouse into a three bedroom, two bath home with a two car garage. And so I guess when I was 15, other than chasing girls, I also helped put a addition on the house. That, okay. You know, so you got started young in the Right. <laughs> and so that definitely helped. Learned a lot doing that with my dad. And then the army gave me the leadership capabilities. And yeah. I was, it'll sound funny when, you know, what we get into later tonight, but I'm not exactly the type of person that is good at following orders. I have no idea how I survived in the army, but I made it. And I was, you know, an E seven spent 13 years in total. And, uh, I frequently spoke my mind there and would take on my bosses. And oh, if wow. you don't know, E5s are lowly little sergeants. They don't disagree with generals. And I did that. And there were multiple times where I was put up for an award and put up for an Article 15, a demotion, whatever, at the same time. <laughs> and somebody that liked me said, darn it, Sergeant Woland." You've got to quit doing this stuff. And it was probably a little bit louder and more expletive than that. But uh, I can imagine that. I've, I've got quite a few friends who have, have gone through that. And, it, and it's an interesting. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what you call it. It's interesting how in a lot of people that I run into that have 
gone through, you know, joining the military in some format or another, how many of them chafe under taking orders? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's, that's super interesting to me because, you know, I never got to, I never went through that. So from my perspective, you know, the vast majority of people, it looks like have to be order followers. Otherwise you wouldn't get the things done that need to get done. All right. So I was in a unique unit. I mean, we were airborne sappers. People are much more familiar with airborne rangers, but we were not your average, you know, work in the rear type of people. We were out there and we were in combat and you are required to think on your feet. Of course, there is a time that you blindly do what you are told or your friends are going to die. But you also need to be able to see the future. You need to figure out how to not get into a bad situation or you and your friends are going to die. Right. So it's not like they say, and I know I joke about the Marines. I have a lot of good friends that are Marines, but they are the ones that just, hey, follow orders and that's it. They're, they're the pawns in the game. Yeah. Well, so are the paratroopers and every, you know, all the other whatever. <laughs> But everybody thinks they're better than the next guy, and they're probably oh, yeah. not, which today is a girl, too. Um, <laughs> yep. But, yeah, we you have to think ahead, and you have to make decisions clearly based on the facts how they are. Mm-hmm. And even though I broke the rules sometimes, I had a really good reason for it, one that I could justify. And pretty much, not always, but pretty much always got away with it. So now you have these people that work for me and they think, oh, that's Eric. He just does everything. He's, you know, he's so rich. He can buy his way out of trouble, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not (laughs) that at all. It's the fact that they said, well, I thought you don't like the rules. I said, well, some rules are stupid. I never understood why I had to sit down and shut up on school. I never understood why I had to memorize all these dates. How is that going to help me in my life? Uh, but when it comes to put your seat on uh, seatbelt on in an open cockpit aerobatic airplane, I agree with that rule. You know, can I get an extra strap here? Right. Yeah. It seems, it seems like, and maybe you would agree with this, that rules are made for people who can't think on their feet. And yeah. The people, people who have that capacity to think things through would do the thing that's the rule anyway, most likely. Some rules are, like you said, are stupid, but for the most part, they're made for people who can't think for themselves. And when you get into the overreaching government, someone, maybe Socrates or Plato or somebody famous from a long time ago, definitely Roman, because he said a law should be simple enough that the common man can understand it as he's running underneath it you know, inscribed on the Colosseum or something like that. Mm. And now we have six and 10,000 page laws that are passed in overnight. And it's not just in the U S I mean, Europe is just as bad or worse in a lot of ways. Wow. And how do they expect all these things? You have politicians that are voting for stuff that say, Oh, well, we have to pass it to see what's in it. No, we really don't. We don't want to ever know. If it's that big, we don't want to know what's in it. No, no, for sure. Let's back up just a little bit. How did you go from somebody 
who was in the military to now somebody who's on a podcast talking about overreaching government. That, that seems like an interesting progression there. <laughs> uh, I was a leader in the army, uh, ended up as a platoon sergeant and have kind of been, uh, had a leadership attitude, if you will, everywhere I ever worked. And when I got into real estate, I ended up within a year or so being the president of a property owners association. I was on the board of multiple associations and now 20 some years later, I'm still on the legislative committee and working with different legislatures. But when I don't agree with something, if I really believe it's wrong, if I think people are incongruent and stepping outside of their box, then I tend to stand up and say so. And my background is in medicine. And when I have a doctor who has never practiced medicine tell me that I can't evict people because <laughs> he thinks that that trumps contract law, I tend to disagree. Mm-hmm. And that's why I sued the CDC a couple of years ago and beat them. Not because it's right or wrong to evict people, but if we don't have a basic understanding in this world, it doesn't matter if you're a normal human being going to college, if you're in high school, if you're trying to support a family and you're 50 years old, if you're a retiree, it doesn't matter where you are. We need to have an understanding that if you and I look each other in the eye, shake hands and agree on something, sometimes one of us will let the other one down, but we do yeah. our very best to keep our word every time. Yeah. And wow. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of if I make a mistake, you're the first person I call. I messed up today. I immediately texted my buddy because he's on vacation and said, this is what I screwed up. If that caused you any problem, heartache, or pain, this is how I fixed it. And if you want anything else done, call me. It will immediately be done any way you say. But I definitely dropped the ball on this thing I was supposed to do. Yeah, We need need more people to do that. Right. So, yeah, that is how I started taking on the government because they tell you, you know, do this. Don't do that. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Well, this will help you. Well, that'll hurt you. Well, let's trade that around. And every time they change with or without any statistical backup or studies, they expect us to just blindly follow. Yeah. And I say, no, I won't do that. All of us need to take a stand. That is why I was in the army. It wasn't to learn how to follow orders. It was to defend our liberty. Right. And I would be the first to admit, we do not need. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said it best. He said, the only thing more dangerous than a standing army is a central currency, a central (laughs) bank. And I think that uh, we could have a lot smaller army we could we really don't need troops in over 100 countries right we'll be okay (laughs) what do we have like our our military spending is more than the next like seven or eight countries combined i was gonna say more than six so i would believe you that it's at seven or eight it's outrageous yeah it's, it's insane i mean and and we're not anywhere near the largest country by population in the world but we definitely outspend all the others 
Right. <laughs> you, I, I'm, I'm interested in, um, you talked about taking on the CDC and winning that case. Oftentimes on, on something like that, it's either a case that sets major precedent to, to where others can follow that or it's swept under the rug. And I'm interested what happened in, in your case. Were, were other landlords able to, to piggyback off of that to, to be able to evict people that needed it as well? Yes, they were. And a legal case, unfortunately, we've been in a couple uh, I hate using the court system and sometimes there's just no other way. If right. one person acts as judge dread to bring up comic books, if they're judge, jury and executioner, you got nothing else to go by. And so you have to use the court and it is never who is right. It is politics. It's picking the right jurisdiction. It's making sure you have an airtight case that has, it doesn't have any loopholes. So you don't take the best case. You take the case that's good enough to win that doesn't have any excess baggage the other side can use against you. Right. Gotcha. And so we won and they multiple courts around said, if you have any of these evictions in progress, let us know when we'll process them. And I am not here to throw people out of their home. I simply want them to pay. I had to pay my mortgage. Yeah. Said, oh, well, you have a moratorium. No, I don't. Most of my money comes from private lenders. I borrowed from your mom, your dad, your grandmother. They loaned me money so I could buy this house. And now you're not paying your rent. And I can't pay. And actually the lender on the exact house that we're talking about was a little old lady that retired and moved to Florida and she was counting on my payments every month. So I don't have yeah. the option to not pay her. Right. And yeah, there's I, a lot of repercussions. Right. So these things ripple through the whole market when one person arbitrarily says, well, you don't have to pay. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that they said, well, you can do it. And it was sort of implied that everybody in our jurisdiction could. But then, you know, the CDC immediately appealed. And this was in the Cleveland federal court system. And it was actually there were five or six cases that won on the merits. And they approached it going after contract law, going after the marriage of our case was the CDC doesn't have the ability or the right to change and interfere with our stuff. Right. Uh, and I'm telling you, these lawyers were brilliant, but they brought up this case about turtles. <laughs> and I'm like, what? It is so weird how they're trying to find a precedent. And that was the other side working. But uh, yeah, we ended up going to the appeals court. And a case out of Texas actually beat us to the Supreme Court. But we were all, and I don't care. It would have been cool to say my case went to the Supreme Court. But really, all I wanted was for justice to win. So right. someone else's case made it to the Supreme Court before ours. But there were five or six across the nation that made it into the appeals process and were working on everything. 
And so, yes, yeah. once the Supreme Court of the U.S. decided, then it became the law of the land. Wow, that that I love how that works. I don't like when it doesn't work how it's supposed to. But mm-hmm. like in that case where, you know, an, an unelected arm of the government, the CDC is made rulings like that, like you're not allowed to evict people for not paying like they agreed to. Why is it that people accept that? Like we like just blind sheep basically following anything that's that's put out there that could be made to seem like it has makes a little bit of sense. People just follow it blindly. What's behind that? I wish I knew. If people acted more like human beings and not lemmings chasing each other off a cliff, I think that we would have a much better population. But why are we so impressed with what some pop star or some rapper, why does every actor and actress think I care what their political opinions are? I mean, really, I don't care if you think, you know, I used to make fun of people. It really doesn't matter. The Demopubs or Republicrats, they're pretty much all the same. And at least I knew one was the Warfare Party and one was the Welfare Party. And now even that's blurred. I can't figure out who wants to spend more of my money. All I know is they want to keep taking money from people like me and you and then spending right. it on things that most of us don't agree with. Right, exactly. It's, it's not It's not which one wants to spend the money. They both want to spend it just in different places. Right. <laughs> and they all want to take it from us without our permission. Yep. I mean, if, if you could walk in and fill out a ballot like you were ordering a car or your dinner, And say, you know what? I believe in national defense. I want to pay for all of the troops in America, but I don't want to pay for the ones that go anywhere overseas until we actually get attacked. And, oh, roads. I like roads. Let me give an extra 5% to roads. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Wouldn't that be incredible? (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, it would be. I had a question come up. Oh, shoot. And it just left me. I'm sure it'll probably come back. How does somebody get to the place where they can stand up to unconstitutional laws like that? Everyone can stand up to unconstitutional laws. There are multiple different groups out there. And I would love to plug the people from Pacific Legal Foundation. They are out of California, and they are, as far as I know, the biggest group of lawyers in the country that specifically fights the government for overreaching powers. And my personal representation in Ohio was 1851 Center for Constitutional Law, Maurice Thompson. I love Maurice. I have donated an awful lot of money to him. He has an incredible group if you happen to live in Ohio. There are other groups like that, probably in every state in the nation. And then you have the PLF and a couple others are really nationwide. They're the biggest named. So I didn't actually come on to ask for donations for them. But if you really want to support this (laughs) or you need something, they represent you for free. Okay. And then they try to get paid after they win the case from the losers. But neither of those groups ask me for a penny. I actually sent 
uh, donation check to PLF. And they sent it back with a very nice note that said, thank you, but we will not accept any donations from the people we're representing. So they absolutely work for free just to protect our rights. Oh, that's amazing. I got the first or the last two, 1851 Center for Law and PLF. What was the first one? Yeah, the PLF, Pacific Legal Foundation. Oh, Pacific Legal Foundation. Oh, yes. gotcha. And that's based out of California. They were the heavy hitters, if you will, but they needed local representation, which is where I called in 1851 to be the local representation. Yeah. They gotcha. just think very highly of both groups. So, yeah. So before we started recording, you were telling me um, about your rental business and how your kids have gotten into the rental business and written best-selling books and all of that as well. And my first question when when I saw that, you know, you're a best-selling author and your kids as well. Which one of y'all has written the most books? <laughs> or not, I'm sorry. Which one of y'all has sold the most books it was my question. Probably my 15-year-old. Wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's incredible. So I wrote a book. Just, I, I mean, I was the first chapter in an interview book. It was just so we could promote the heck out, sell them for a dollar, and be a best-selling author. Mm-hmm. And then Devin actually wanted to write a book, wrote one at 10, published at 11. They're all, if you're looking at this, right across behind me over there. Okay. But yeah, Devin's first book is how he started buying real estate when he was seven years old. That's incredible. At 11, he gave that to Mark Victor Hansen as in chicken soup for the soul. Right. We met him at a George Gammon rebel capitalist event, which uh, I think is your type of people. And Mark really liked my son and said, this is incredible. We've got to publish your next book. So then he wrote a fictional story about a kid that designs drones and stuff in his garage. All of our books now have the same essence. They all talk about, you know, how to have a strong, good family, how to start and grow a business. And there's always somebody from the government that attacks you. (laughs) Devin's book, The Garage, Uh, uh, the mayor is the antagonist that's always after him. And of course, it's a book about teenagers. So he's sweet on the mayor's daughter. And (laughs) it's really funny and great for, you know, like eight to 25 year olds. But that's who he wants to help. So it's a fictional story that still teaches a few lessons about starting a business and Mm. taking on the mayor. And just barely squeaking by, beating him at the end. And the second one in that, Devin finished writing. We're still going over uh, chapter 17. We're re-editing, and then we're waiting for the illustrations and book cover. But that'll be out in a couple of months. Awesome. Oh, that's cool. It's it's so fun for me to see people who push their kids, their youth. You know, especially, you, you don't see it that often, even if teenagers go and do amazing things. It's not often they start at age seven, no. but it's so awesome for me to see that entrepreneurial streak in people that young. I, I love seeing that. The, it kind of the so, yeah, it's so funny that I just took for granted that my kids can do this. And 
now that we're traveling and teaching so much, I see how little five years old is. And it shocks me because I always, no matter where we're speaking, I encourage the parents to bring their children. I said, if they can sit there and be quiet, and even if they can't, then just walk out of the room with them. Bring them anyways. You know, let your kids see it. But I've been teaching courses on business, investing in real estate every Wednesday since before they were born. Wow. I just show up and in all of these years, hundreds of meetings, I think only one person has ever said anything to me. And he's like, you're bringing a baby to a business meeting. And there I am carrying him in on the car carrier. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. And if you want my advice for free, I'm going to have my kid. I really don't. If you don't like (laughs) it, you don't need to be here. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He's been traveling with me and doing that stuff. And one time he comes in, he must be like three years old. And he stands there holding on to the side of my chair. He's like, dad, dad, can we play? And I'm trying to work on my books and I really need another cup of coffee. I was like, here you go, kid. Sit him down in the office chair. I said, how about you take this piece of paper and if you can find the number on the paper and match it up on the screen and put a little click in the box, when you get down and the bottom right-hand corner number is zero, you win and I'll give you ice cream. (laughs) <laughs> and he reconciled my business checking account at like three. Wow. That's and incredible. So he's like, this is fun. You know, I get to play a game on dad's confess. Like it's just like that memory game, you know, where we flip the stuff over and look at pictures. Only now you're matching numbers. <laughs> uh, so yeah. He had he, accountant. <laughs> That's yeah. But then he wanders in at five and he's like, dad, I think it's time. really serious. Remember, a five-year-old, if you have five-year-olds, look at how teeny they are. And he stands there and looks. He's like, I think it's time for me to start investing. (laughs) And I said, oh, man, I've been teaching him his whole life. You can do anything. And I hate it when parents say, you can do anything. You can become president. And I mean, seriously, if your kid can't become president, look at the last two we've had. You hate one or the other, probably. Right. I'm sure (laughs) your kid can do better. (laughs) <laughs> probably yeah. than both of them on at least a couple of levels. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's like, what should I invest in? And I tell him what I tell every adult. Well, don't take advice from me. You need to invest in what you know. And he thinks really hard and says, dad, the only thing I really know and understand is Legos. <laughs> Said, perfect. Go find a way to make money with Legos. And I'm thinking, I just bought myself a couple of hours, maybe a day or two. I'll be darned if he didn't come back in and tell me. He's like, Dad, I figured it out. I'm going to make money with Legos. Like two days later, on his own, he came up with a way that he knew when a Lego set was going to go up in price. And so he's like, yeah, I know I have to buy low and sell high, so... This will be the cheapest it'll be. I just got to get the money and I'll buy this set. And then in a few months, it should cost twice as much and we'll sell it. Wow. And uh, he absolutely made every mistake that uh, mistakes you can't even imagine because he was five and I let him do it on his own. But it's a whole lot better to mess up on a $400 Lego set than a $40,000 house. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so he learned his lesson and he picked the wrong partner, which I read a free newsletter every week. This week's that goes out tomorrow was all about picking the right partner. If they don't bring something to the deal, if you're five, you don't get your little brother to partner with you because you need money <laughs> less than you. But you've got to make your mistakes and learn. And that's yeah. what one of the main lessons in our book, Family Success Triangle, is you need to let your children fall down. If you have a young boy and he doesn't have a skinned knee from time to time, you're overprotective. Let him go. You are there exactly. not to make sure they never fall. You are there to pick them up when they do. That's yeah. all. Yep. The The best way I've heard it put is your job as a parent is to work yourself out of a job. Yes. You're, raising, you're not raising kids. You're raising adults. So bring them up in a way that they'll become the best adult that they are capable of being. And, and imagine if you allowed your 10, 12, even your 15-year-old. I had a 19-year-old girl that married my friend. We were 19 at the time, okay? Yeah. But uh, he calls me up and he goes, would you mind coming over and sleeping on my couch? And I said, what? I mean, this is the opposite of the, what soldiers say. Come and spend the night when my wife's home and I'm in the field, she had never in her life at like 19 years old slept in a house without her parents or her husband. She went straight from mommy and daddy's house, moved down to Fort Bragg and lived with her husband who was, I mean, I was in their wedding. He was my best friend. Uh, And he's like, yeah, I just sleep on the couch for the first night or two. So she doesn't freak out. She's never been alone. And wow. I mean, I can't imagine having my kids sheltered like that. And if people were taught to take responsibility from a young age, maybe they would learn when people tell you to do things that you know are wrong, don't do them. And maybe when they hear on TV that he's different than me because he's a different color or a different sexual (laughs) or whatever, they'd say, listen. What's wrong with you? Why would you say that? I know what's right. I'm not going to listen to your crap. And maybe we wouldn't have all these racial or sexual tensions that we have today. Yeah. Wow. So true. So with with the theme of the books that you've written and that your kids have written, you know, you mentioned that that their books always have that the overreaching government figure in it. Is that their method of following in your footsteps or do they also combat the government overreach outside of (laughs) well so when you have a seven-year-old that owns a piece of property it uh it presents wildly yeah sure there's challenges but it's wildly different challenges than you would ever imagine Mm -hmm. and i don't know Devin had to be 10 or 11 and they wrote him this two pages of violations with one of his rentals. <laughs> and by the time we got the list, he had just bought it. And of course he doesn't work on his own. He hires professionals like mm. everyone should do. So by the time we got the list, 
they had fixed and it was a disaster. That's why he bought the house because it was so stupid cheap. Uh, but they had fixed all but one thing out of two pages because they were legitimate problems. Yeah. There's piles of trash outside. Of course it needs to go away. The gutters are falling <laughs> off. Of course they need fixed, right? But they said you need to replace this 12 inches of pipe going into the water heater because it's corroded. And the plumber took one look at that. He goes, if I touch that with a wrench, it's breaking off and you're buying a new water heater. And he goes, there's just no way it's coming off. It's too corroded. It's not leaking. Leave it, leave it how it is. So, you know, Devin has already done all this and his management company has done whatever and they're hired professionals. And so they decided to drag him in to the law director's office. And it wasn't one of his minions. It was for the first time ever in the meetings I've been to at that city. The law director never shows up on his own and he showed up that day. <laughs> uh, it wasn't just one of his assistants. And he sits down and he looks at me and he's like, are you his father? So, and by the way, if you look at his picture, we look identical. All right. <laughs> there is no doubt. Quite obvious. <laughs> Not to mention, we introduced ourselves with our last names, which are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty good. But I was like, I fail to see how that has any bearing on this case. And he goes, well, you need to do this. I said, sir, I actually can't do that. The majority shareholder is sitting right there. You're going to have to address your questions to him. He goes, are you going to replace this water heater? And he kept talking to me and I looked over at Devin. I said, Devin, the lawyer wants to know, or the law director wants to know, are you going to replace this water heater? And he looks at the law director and he says, no, I have no intention of replacing it. It's producing hot water. It's not leaking. The tenants haven't complained. And if it goes out, they will have a new one the next day but we're not going to replace it until then. And he just sits there like he doesn't hear the kid two foot from him. So I repeat word for word what my kid said. Oh, that infuriated him. And we did that two or three (laughs) times back and forth with me parroting the kid. Uh, And he's like, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just find somebody that's not a minor that I can put on the stand. And we're going to have him, blah, blah, blah. Now, I have spoken to every city council around here. Everywhere that I own a rental, I have went in and said, I understand you want to pass this law. I believe this is what you think the benefit will be. This is the other side. This is how I see it. I am quite good at that. I print out what I'm going to say before I ever walk in. I walk up. And I'm the local newspaper. They see me walk in and sigh a relief. They're like, oh, Eric, do you have my copy? And I just <laughs> print out a copy of my speech and give it to everybody in the press there so I don't get misquoted. I even put in the bold yeah. point that they should turn into a headline because I want <laughs> them to say what I want them to say. Yeah. And they don't want to work any more than anybody. They're like, oh, we can meet the deadline. We can get this in for tomorrow's edition. Yeah. So I'm pretty good with working with the press. And uh, I said to the law director, I said, well, why don't you do that? If you can go through the agent and all the legal hassles, heartache and pain, and you can get somebody on the stand, 
it will be his minority partner because I do own 10% of his company in case there's ever a time where I have to sign him for something, which is a lot more rare than you would think. He has signed purchase agreements, mortgages, notes, but had it done everything without me doing anything wow. but driving him to the closing. That's uh, incredible. So yeah, that it can be done. You just sign in the name of the LLC and nobody asks how old you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if anybody is arguing about that for the lawyers out there, it is legal. As far as I know, in every one of the 50 states, it is not enforceable until he turns 18. And yes, everything is disclosed and every party knows. So th- there's the issues you have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was like, go ahead, put me on the stand. And I promise I will make it abundantly clear that I don't have the say. I'm a minority owner. You need to talk to him. And I promise I will call all my friends from the press. And we'll see how they like you picking on a 10-year-old with his <laughs> plumber standing beside him, not his dad, but we'll call the plumber in that's willing to testify that it is in perfect shape and doesn't need replaced. So that was the first time one of the kids took on somebody in the city. And by it was five years ago or so, and we've never heard a peep about it since. They just let it go. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love hearing that. What about somebody who is maybe hearing about this for the first time that, that they can stand up, they can, you know, they maybe they do have rights. They they can push back on somebody, even local governments that are stepping outside of their bounds. Where does somebody start? Like, where do we find what we can push back on and how should we go about that? Be honest. First and foremost, be congruent. That's one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn. I got out of the army and I had some issues. I had a lot of issues, like most of us do. Went through, uh, decided I don't need that self-help crap. I finally read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I was like, ooh, maybe I do. And then I went on this massive bender of learning everything I could, making myself a better person. Uh, And I have been through the $50,000 courses, and I've read countless free books from the library. So it doesn't matter what level you're at or what you have. First, you have to be the right person. Be honest with yourself. Don't go pick a fight with the city because you think it'll be fun or cool. It won't. (laughs) It will suck. Everything about going to court is bad. The only people that ever make out are the lawyers. So unless you're a lawyer, and if you are, don't represent yourself. But once you get over that and you really, really believe that this will make the world a better place, understand that there are certain rules you follow These are unwritten rules. You need to have the right lawyer. You don't hire the lawyer used for your divorce. You don't hire a bankruptcy lawyer. You get the specialist. They will probably cost a lot. Pay them. Uh, And you stand up for what is right. If they say this is an unwinnable case, take it from the guy that is honest enough to not take your money from you and back down. I mean, that's why you hire professionals. Sure. I can put on a roof. 
I own a backhoe. I dug a pond a couple years ago. I can put in a foundation and do everything in between on the house. But you don't see me doing that. I have done it. I worked my way up doing that and learned. But every chance I got, I hired somebody that was better at it. Or even if they weren't, for all of you, oh, I got to do it all. Nobody will ever be as good as me. You're right. They won't. They won't care as much as you. And you'll never get nearly as much done as me, even with all the problems I have, because I have 40 people working for me. And you can't put in enough hours to keep up with them, even if they only work half the time. So you got to let go of your ego. And when it comes to lawyers, I make jokes about them all the time, too. And I think there's a lot of bad ones out there. But there are, just like everything else in the world, there's a lot of good ones. Find those good ones that want and believe the same way as you. And then hire them and do what they say. You know, you you can lead them a little bit and say, I'd like it to go this way. And if they say, Eric... You know you're going to get eaten alive. Don't do that. You should probably shut up and do what they say. <laughs> They're a lot, a lot more well-versed in, in how the system works than most people. I mean, there's hopefully most people that aren't lawyers haven't had a whole lot of interaction with the system. Like, leave it alone as much as possible is, is, and try to operate. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want to be an expert on court. It was right. just something that we happen to be in a very litigious society. Yeah. And if you run a business, if you own rental property, eventually you're going to go in for one reason or another. Yep. And never, we had this lease that I bought from some guru and it's 10 pages long and it's just, man, it totally took advantage of the tenants. And I was like, well, if you want to live in my house, you have to sign it. Cause that's what I was told to say. But we went for five years and never went to court over anything. And oh, these last few years, people just are so much more entitled than they used to be. Hmm. But the first time I went to court, I realized, well, I know this says that I should get double the security deposit or something back. If they break the slip, that doesn't sound fair to me. I never tried to enforce it. And all of the judges around even though, you know, frequently, especially in the bigger cities, the landlord's the bad guy, whether they are or not, right? right? They always look, they hear my company name and say, oh, they're fair. They never really try to take advantage of people. They asked for money, but only what was reasonable. They never said you have to repaint the whole apartment, you know, replace all the carpeting. And when we did walk in, I mean, I had a tenant take a razor blade knife and cut from corner to corner in every room of carpet just to spite me when they moved out. And then they sued us for discrimination. (laughs) And when we walk in with all these pictures and we get the second cause and like, uh, yeah, first off, whatever class that you are in and they were in multiple classes you're not allowed to discriminate against i was like i have all of these people out there that are also in the same class that have no problems with us we have moved you into not one but two different properties of ours and we finally ask you and a person that's a different race than you both to move out at the same time because you every weekend the cops were called and it was ruining 
all of the other neighbors around in you know, peaceful enjoyment. So we ask you both to leave. And uh, yeah, she did all this damage and sued us for discrimination. And they're like, you have like a $5,000 judgment against you for the damage you did. That made it a lot easier. They, they checked a couple of boxes and talked to a couple of them. They're like, oh yeah, there was no discrimination. That's just made up. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, that happens. You sign many thousands of leases and it's going to happen to you. Yeah. And you are going to have one bad tenant. Don't think, I mean, if you buy your first one, you might have a terrible tenant, but it's probably your fault, not theirs. Once you learn how to do a background check and you rent to mature grown-up adults that have jobs, it way over 90% of them are awesome. They're just yeah. like everybody else in the world. And occasionally they lose their job like everybody else in the world. You know, I lost three jobs in two years. That's what got me into this real estate thing. Yeah. Well, lucky for you or, or fortunate for you that, that it happened like it did. <laughs> I'm going to have to get you back on sometime to, to go in depth in, into how someone can get started in real estate, much like you did. We're going on 45 minutes here. I've got just a couple of questions here I'd like to get to. The first of them being, you mentioned courses and books and all of those things to, to improve your life where you got started. Where should somebody start if they were where you were however many years ago that was when you first picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad? What would you recommend somebody start with today? I would recommend not spending $10,000 on a course. I would recommend that you spend, I tell everybody 500 bucks and I want you to spend it $20 a time. Okay. Mm. If you're in real estate, then spend one to $200 to join your local RIA group, wherever you are. That is an essential part. Be in a group that does what you want to do. If you want to learn about business, um, all right, just to make life easier, my website, clearskytrainer.com. I talk about a variety of things in a free newsletter. I don't sell your information. I don't want anything from you. Of course, we tell you about all our new books that are coming out. But oh, today, yeah. I was just, I promoted three other people that I met up in Michigan because they have awesome courses that I went through. And I was like, if you want to know more about them, here's their website. And that was it. Uh, but I put a list of books on there under articles, Think and Grow Rich, uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, all of what I consider the best books in entrepreneurship and business. We put a link there. I, I want nothing for it other than to give you the information that I got. And I also yeah. listen to cassette tapes. Yes, that old. <laughs> That's been and, a while. <laughs> yeah, it's CDs. Well, if you're listening to me now, then you absolutely need to sign up and subscribe to Ken's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and find out. I listen to a couple of podcasts every week. You know, I never miss them. And then I have a handful others. That I was like, ooh, let's listen to this one. Oh, let's listen to that one. And you know, there's so many out there. Find one that speaks to you where you like the host 
and he happens to get good guests on and interesting. And listen to that every time you're driving rather than blaring the radio. Ooh, yeah. It's uh you have how many people spend hours and hours a week driving, not listening to something constructive. You know, I mean, that's, you can, you can take a full course, college course in a month for all of the driving that a lot of people do in their commute day to day. It's incredible. It's unreal. I drove 40 minutes to my last job, 40 minutes each way. And it was unbelievable how much I learned just listening to CDs and cassettes on the way there and back. And that was, you know, I read books while I was at work. I had no job. I would, my last assignment in the army, uh, the full time, was watching four more or less grown up adults open and close a gate. And unless there was a terrorist attack, I really didn't have a life. So I read a lot of books, six and a half hours a day, seven days a week. And wow. then when I left there, I went back to the reserve. That's when I really started in real estate full time and just decided never to get another real job. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Love it. Where's the best place somebody should go to, to follow you so they can work towards reaching the same level of freedom that you've achieved with your life? Well, uh, to start clearskytrainer.com, I've got a free newsletter. My book, Family Success Triangle, All right. is uh, doing pretty well in sales. Just came out in November and people seem to like it. So awesome. read that and write me a review if you like it, please. And then we are at Real Power Family on Instagram and Rumble and YouTube. So it's actually my kid that puts out all the YouTube videos and he records us when we're speaking on stage or sometimes just at the airport or the farm or wherever we're working. And he'll throw up a new video. And does yeah, that no TikTok yet? What's that? No TikTok yet? That seems to be what's blowing up these days. Yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. care if I have thousands of followers. You know, I got a few hundred and every, it seems like every couple of days we pick up one more. Yeah. But uh, so I'm in a good place in my life. I just want to go out and have fun. I don't want to go after the government, but right? if they go after <laughs> me, I'm going to say no. I'm yeah. going to fight back. Well, I've got all your links here that you sent me. I'll definitely have those in the show notes and link to the book. I really appreciate your time tonight. It's been an enlightening conversation and I'm interested in having you back to talk about real estate if you're willing to do that in the future. Oh, I'd be happy to. That's the majority awesome. of the courses we teach on real estate. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll link those. I appreciate your time and, and you have a great night, Mr. Eric. Thank you very much, Ken. It was a pleasure talking to you. Wow. Wasn't that an enlightening conversation? Just some of the accomplishments that Eric has achieved just through going out and doing it, just trying, being persistent and going after what it was he wanted. Definitely, definitely go give Eric a follow. And if you feel so inclined, go drop down into the show notes and click the link to sign up for our email notifications where I send out one email a week with the latest podcast episodes and just share some tidbits from each of the episodes on how you can create a better life. Do good work.